0: Fluff.
1: One's backfire, three is gunplay. Step out. Put it down. will come by, blow your head off. Can't yeah, see your chest. Who are you? My well, son. Uh, right now, I'm uh, I'm the button man. I'm the guy you wake up to one night. Maybe a year from now. Maybe two. And all you'll see
0: is a pillow over your face and you'll hear a pop. I know where I came from. Yeah, I used to be one.
1: I'm Joel Murphy. And I'm Andy McIntyre. And this is Silver Linings Playback, the podcast where we watch maligned movies and we find their silver lining. Uh, and this week, uh, we're doing something a little
0: bit off the beaten path, but uh, a movie that probably should be more remembered than it is, maybe. I don't know.
1: But uh, this is Christopher McQuarrie's directorial debut, Way of the Gun. The Way of the Gun. Uh, I think it's rocking a solid forty-five percent on Rotten Tomatoes.
0: <laughs> yeah, that sounds that sounds just about right. Um, I think a solid forty-nine percent on Metacritic, so yeah. right in that sweet spot of quality that you really want. <laughs> and,
1: I, and I would just say at the top, uh, I this is is a movie that I love and that I lobbied for us to do. Um, I it is probably of everything that we've talked about, my favorite movie of of the. Of what we so, talked about, of what we talked about, it. yeah, um, and we'll we'll get into it. It's definitely you know I you know it's not a perfect movie, but no. it is a movie that I like quite a bit. Uh, uh, and yeah, go ahead.
0: I was gonna say uh, my favorite movie, Jason X.
1: Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, that one structurally, you can't you can't. Tear it's, it flawless. It's, it's flawless. It's um, flawless. And we all agree, you know, we disagree on our first, but our second favorite movie is both The Phantom Menace. Like, it just... Oh, yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. That that goes yeah.
0: without saying.
1: Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so this is, um, it's continuing our heist movie month. It's continuing our generous definition of what a heist movie is. There's a heist in this movie. It's a, There's a caper. No, it's yeah, it's it's a caper. Yeah, I I don't know, maybe this would be cl- classified as something else. I think it's definitely like it's it's heavily borrowing from western tropes definitely. Oh yeah. Uh, but you know, there's there's a team and they are uh they steal something and there's a lot of double crossing and a lot of secrets and uh you know, the end is not quite what it seems.
0: Yeah, it's this is definitely mo- probably more of a crime film than a pure heist movie, but there is it's a movie, there is a heist in it. And there is more about the fallout from said heist rather than the build up, where I think most most heist movies are the build up and the the climax is the heist. Uh this time the 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 heist is the inception point of the movie and the rest of it is the aftermath. So, yeah. I think it counts. I'm going to say it counts.
1: Yeah. And I I'm not going to say that naming it Baby Heist would have uh, you know, helped it with its critical or box office success, but it might not have hurt. Yeah, I mean, I, I would see a movie
0: called Baby Heist. Yeah, The original I title
1: could... of Raising Arizona. <laughs> I would also be disappointed because uh, Baby Heist, I want to see a movie where the babies are doing the heist, but...
0: Oh, without a doubt.
1: Yeah, so yeah, it might be a you little... You definitely weird. want
0: babies committing a heist.
1: Which it's not maligned enough, but if we ever did the movie Baby Driver, I think you would know my biggest complaint about it. <laughs> pretty clear <laughs> oh <there's, laughs> not there's, once I, I unabashedly
0: love baby driver so i don't think we'll ever talk about that no. on this podcast.
1: no it's it was pretty universally well received but uh if i were to malign one thing about it then not a single baby drives a car in that whole movie
0: No, i think there's one scene where there's a baby in a car in the back seat you can't drive from the back seat uh yeah. we're not talking about baby driver we're no. talking about the way of the gun Uh, was this 99 2000 2000 yeah 2000 Mm -hmm. and so a fertile uh, era for bad movies i just want to point that out yeah 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 weirdly in the late 90s early aughts quite a bit on this podcast so
1: it was a transitional period you know for movies so uh but no so christopher mcquery uh we should probably set up who he is a little bit because i feel like that's relevant to the conversation Uh, Right out the gate, the first screenplay that Christopher McQuarrie uh, got made in Hollywood was uh, The Usual Suspects, which is a pretty universally loved movie that uh, won Academy Awards. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Ebert gave it one star, but
0: um, no, yeah. uh,
1: And Christopher McQuarrie won best screenplay, best original screenplay for it. Mm -hmm. Right out the gate. Just starts his career in Hollywood writing the usual. Super hot. Yeah. The Usual Suspects. Uh, Christopher McQuarrie has since, like in recent years, uh, become a collaborator with Tom Cruise. And they've done a lot of movies together, starting with the first one was Valkyrie. Uh, they did, is it Day of, what is it, Something Tomorrow? I always want to call the movie Live, Die, Repeat, because that was the tagline. Because that was,
0: the, I think that was like
1: the, the world, the global
0: release title. Yeah. Um, but I can't remember, I always want to call it Live, Die, Repeat too,
1: but it's... It's Something Tomorrow, Edge of Tomorrow, Edge of Tomorrow. Edge of Tomorrow, yeah, Live, yeah. Die, Repeat, that's right. Yeah, so they did Edge of Tomorrow, and then uh, probably most famously, uh, they have done the last two Mission Impossible movies together. Um and the two
0: Jack Reacher movies, I think, as yeah, well. Yeah,
1: and Jack Reacher. Um yeah, so McQuery like has actually carved out a niche as a director uh with Tom Cruise. Like, certainly like the he's Tom Cruise's go to guy these days uh for yeah. movies. And you can say what you will about Tom Cruise, but there are
0: many worse people to hit your wagon to than arguably the biggest box office star over the past
1: 40 years. Oh yeah, and I mean like it's, I'm sure this would come up as as we discuss this, but what they're actually doing together in with action movies is, I kind of unparalleled, honestly. I mean, if you really watch uh, Mission Impossible Fallout, you have the combination of the fact that Tom Cruise uh, is willing to put himself in dangerous situations, like doing Halo jumps, like leaping across rooftops, like flying a helicopter. And Christopher McQuarrie is very good as a filmmaker at filming those things in a way that makes it very clear that Tom Cruise is the one doing, like taking advantage of the fact that his star is willing to do this stuff and shooting action movies in a way that don't look like anything else that are just like beautifully shot, you know, just really cool. uh, You know, taking full advantage of Tom Cruise's fearlessness.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And i i just don't think we'll ever talk about a mission impossible movie on this podcast we could probably talk about two
1: yeah mission we possible oh, oh we could definitely talk about uh two which is yeah by far the the worst of them which is a shame because it's directed by john woo who i i do enjoy but like it's just i will say i don't like his american movies i think that's the problem is yeah uh but yeah, so all of that to say like you know, full disclosure, I already said I like this movie. I am a big fan overall of Christopher McQuarrie's body of work. Uh I think he is immensely talented and uh very like the way that he thinks about and talks about movies is endlessly fascinating to me. Uh and, and so we get to this movie which uh he says was actually came out of his frustration with Hollywood. So he had made the usual suspects. Uh, it, it Since then, you know, you, you, you know, like a, like a band releasing a hit album right out of the gate, you know, you inevitably are set up for that sophomore slump. He was getting frustrated with Hollywood. And this movie, apparently uh, he says is sort of like came out of that frustration. He was uh, still buddy, buddy with Benicio del Toro, who was also a bit frustrated with Hollywood. And they sat down to try to figure out what they could get financed. <laughs> Uh, and that was, of course, something not terribly different from the usual suspects, but also, you know, you know, and that's how we got this, which he wrote and yeah. directed. Yeah, this is like we said, it's a
0: directorial debut. Um, since we're sort of in the recap slash maligning point moment, he has come a long way as a director.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, like what's fascinating about McQuery now is. And I I think is sort of really funny to think about if you start of the point of this movie is I've heard him talk a lot and particularly with the Mission Impossible movies with the fact that they're for an international audience. And what he's working towards as a director is sort of uh, making movies that are very visual and very minimal on dialogue to the point where. Like, he kind of said with Fallout, like, his goal was that, like, if you didn't speak the language and you didn't know a word they were saying, that you would be able to track the story just visually in the way it's shot, which I think is true. Uh, I'd agree with that. But you start with this movie that is very into talking, not very into showing and uh is shot in a way that is um you know someone who's directing their first movie and probably still figuring a lot of that stuff out you know i'm not i'm not gonna beat up on them for it but i no definitely not yeah but for sure it is someone's first outing (laughs) at directing
0: no and it's definitely clear that this is a screenwriter who's a fairly successful screenwriter um the words definitely come first in this movie oh yeah um you know, yeah, it's it's and it's not so bad that it's distracting, like it's not doesn't look amateur, like it looks like there's a, still a fairly competent hand behind the camera on everything. But um you would ne- unlo- unless you if you didn't look at any of the credits, there's no way you'd know that it's the same filmmaker. Like it's oh yeah totally different.
1: Yeah, it's just uh I guess I would it's maybe more just like meat and potatoes directing. Like there there are a few shots that i think are really well executed uh there's the ending i think is really well done you know like yeah. the the final shootout but like yeah a lot of the staging for the conversations are sort of you know just standard setups
0: yeah and i mean I, this I, this movie like directorially it's it doesn't feel original like it feels like it's pulling from a lot of inspiration you know it's like oh i really liked how like sergio leone shot shootouts or i really liked how like even like tarantino shot dialogue scenes yeah and obviously, you know, stuff you, like that
1: like yeah. you can see all that but and there's a lot of butch cassidy and sundance kid in this movie oh a ton of butch cassidy and sundance kid <laughs> yeah uh but yeah sydney so so, lumet is that who did Bush,
0: butch cassidy and the sundance kid i believe
1: so yeah i know because yeah, i know william goldman wrote the screenplay but i think right uh and then, yeah, I mean, to the point of the the shootout at the end of this movie uh, is shot in a location that they used in Butch Cassidy, and their names that they use are the real names of Butch Cassidy and Sundance. Like,
0: yeah, uh, Parker and Longbow are the actual names of the the fabled uh, train robbers Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid.
1: Yeah. So, uh, yeah, there, obviously that's a a pretty heavy influence. Uh, yeah, so I get we haven't really t- t- summarized the movie. It's pretty simple. It, it's both it's it's a funny thing where it's like a simple plot with a lot of twists, I guess, is the way you would describe it. yeah, the the plot,
0: like it, it's almost like it bounces on tangents but still stays pretty close to the straight through line of guys kidnap pregnant woman, pregnant woman's family tries to get pregnant woman back wackiness ensues
1: yeah well and it's, it's surrogate she she's the surrogate, surrogate yeah yeah for a rich family which is why they kidnap her because they sort of overhear a conversation uh they they're so out of the loop of who they're kidnapping that they don't even know who the rich family is but they just sort of grab the pregnant woman because it's it's much more a crime of opportunity which maybe hurts us for calling it a heist but it is a heist i mean they they, they wait outside the building and they are very tactical in the way that they kidnap her but they they did not do their recon uh and then yeah a lot of the movie is just complications on top of that of like all of the things they didn't know and all of the things other characters don't know about this situation that really uh just complicate it and and really give people varying alliances and desired outcomes for you know the ending
0: yeah pretty much um it's, yeah, I think that's that's a pretty good summer. I think it sort of hits all the things. Um, yeah, I don't have anything else to add to that. So,
1: All right, well. Sh- sh- shall we malign this movie? <laughs> sure. Let's. where do you want to start uh, with the malign? Well, I don't, do we want to, so can I, I asked you and then I took it back because uh, in my mind You're it a makes monster. It, well, because, so the the opening scene is a, almost a film unto itself. That That's actually where I was going to start, too. Okay, well then, go ahead. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I, um, I think one of the biggest things to malign this movie is that the rest of the movie doesn't deliver on the promise made from the opening scene. Yeah, and it's... Uh, it, the way it, the opening it, scene shot, acted, directed, scripted, is almost like... It's just almost seems like it's different characters that were in the opening scene that Ryan Philippi and um, Benicio del Toro are slightly different characters the rest of the movie than they are in that opening scene.
1: Yeah, and that's kind of so I always remembered the opening scene as uh, being you know really memorable, and I think you and I had even talked about it at various points before uh, yeah. about like it is just this as a short film, the opening scene is pretty much a complete story. Uh, and yeah, what I, that's kind of what I found this time of watching it was that it, it doesn't like, yeah, I think you nailed it, that one, it doesn't really connect to anything and it, it, the characters feel different because it, it doesn't really make sense why they're picking this fight in the opening when we then learn that basically they kind of just lay low and are living, you know they they're living these very utilitarian lives off the path like just surviving so why why would they bring all this attention to themselves and get arrested in a thing that didn't benefit them in any way like it does, it feels counter to everything else that we subsequently learn about them yeah
0: and even further than that the rest of the movie goes on to establish that they do have this sense of honor that mm-hmm. is non-existent in that opening scene.
1: Yeah. No, I mean, they're terrible in that opening scene. <laughs> like, they are agents of chaos who are existing only to upset everyone else outside of that club.
0: Yeah. Um, and I'll I'll be fully honest. Like, I did like this movie, too, on the whole. Uh, but I would have rather seen the rest of that movie.
1: I'm curious what the rest of that movie is, for sure. Uh, And it's odd because then what kind of hit me, too, is so you get that scene and then we go into the scene that uh, takes place at the they're donating sperm for money. And what hit me is like Ryan Phillippe's character still feels like a continuation of that first scene in that he's really and they both are to some extent, but like him in particular, he's really antagonizing The guy who's doing the intake forms and what kind of hit me watching it this time is, I mean, one, obviously, I don't think like it's there to kind of it's very clear that his character is being a jerk. But it just because it doesn't fit with the rest of the movie, like it felt really like it dug a hole for his character of, you know, like he's, you know, obviously using gay slurs like he's really instigating a fight. Like they make him very unlikable in that scene in a way that like then because it's just dropped, like yeah he he doesn't get that moment of redemption yeah. where or
0: where he sort of realizes that he needs to do anything. Um, and he could they could have I think the the two choices that maybe I would have made is either make him a little less
1: despicable or really just go all in on it. Well, that's what I mean. It's like it's it's because the first two scenes make him such. A monster and then the rest of the movie he doesn't seem like that person it does it makes those scenes like it it honestly kind of like made me you know sort of rethink the opening scene and then that you know the scene with the the questionnaire like really it's just like i really didn't like them this time through because i'm like you don't really earn this or you don't really justify this behavior so it just makes him look like a jerk and then he's just not anymore and it's just yeah it, it feels i don't know like out of sync
0: and and you can very easily do a movie with despicable leads uh the coen brothers have made a career of it
1: yeah yeah i, um, I, I hope that's clear what i'm
0: saying i'm i'm just saying that as no, presented. I, I, no, I'm, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm more saying for the for the listener to make sure yeah. that they know what we're saying I, I i definitely agree that um it's almost like He had to take some, you know, executive note about well, Ryan Phillip. He's got to be more likable, and then didn't justify it. Like didn't better. It like it just it it feels disconnected. Is the bottom line of it.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because like Benicio del Toro acquits himself a little bit better uh, in both scenes, really. Where like I feel like his character doesn't feel as inconsistent for whatever reason.
0: Yeah, I think that's
1: true. Like because he just he's messing with the guy, but he's messing with the guy in a way that's just messing with him like where he's a little bit of like like i think he he manages to keep that throughout the movie where he has a little bit of like impishness to him
0: (laughs) yeah and one thing i think i think another thing i think hurts the movie is that like ryan Phillippe's character he's parker and del toro is longbow their motivations are never really clear and not in a in a For me, it's like they're unclear in an undeveloped way, not in an intentionally hidden way, if that makes sense. Like, you know, like, why are they living this austere life? Isn't really... Doesn't really get delved into. Why Why did they decide that this is the crime to commit? Which is very high risk compared to, like, his opening monologue where he says you just got to keep your head down and keep doing stuff. A lot of their motivations just... I think every other character had pretty clear motivations except for the two leads. And that's, I think, a problem.
1: Yeah, um... And I I don't know if I, like, personally, like, if I need, like, every detail filled in or whatever, but I think what, what I struggled with that we're kind of hitting at, too, is that they just sort of felt inconsistent of, like, are they careful and meticulous or are they reckless? You know, sometimes they're right. one and sometimes they're the other. Like, are they callous or, or do they actually have hearts of gold? You know, like, certainly Ryan Phillippe at the end seems to have a heart of gold, but it's... It's not, But it, he also it, it,
0: started the movie by punching Sarah Silverman in the face.
1: Right. So it's sort of, you know, how did we get from A to B? You know, like why why is Juliet? Because and, and the thing is, I really like the idea. I think that's what it is. There's a lot of good ideas in this movie and it's just sort of uneven in the way that they're executed because I like the arc of... Ryan Phillippe has been doing this for a long time and now is starting to question when, like if he's just tired of doing this, that would explain why he's willing to kidnap Juliet Lewis to be done. And also if he's starting to think about what am I going to tell God when I die, which is a question that he asks, you know, throughout the movie, like that, that pops up. Like if that was the arc, I think that's a good arc, you know? Of oh like, yeah, for sure. Because you um, also, it's one of my favorite lines in the whole movie is at the end when Benicio Del Toro tells him he's going to tell God that he was framed, which is amazing.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, Um. yeah, I think... And that's the thing is like, and yeah, you know, every dot doesn't have to be connected by the filmmaker, but I think my issue is that the lack of dot connection didn't feel intentional. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Like, and it I, didn't... Like, you can intentionally leave things vague. You know, the the prime example of that is like the Joker in every movie except for the movie The Joker, where he's <laughs> sort of this ambiguous agent of chaos. Um yeah. and you don't need to know why, right? Especially The Dark Knight. Um and you don't re- like he lies about his origin. He does all the you know it's and it's um all, you know, everything's ambiguous, but it seems intentional. Whereas this movie like there are unanswered questions and it was just like, "Oh, whoops."
1: Yeah, and bit. it yeah, and I, I, I sort of, I don't want to keep picking on it, but yeah, it does, it does seem like it manifests itself mostly with Ryan Phillippe's character. Like, I think he's the character mm-hmm. that just doesn't work, you know. Um, that being said, like, from like a scene to scene
0: basis, I think he does a great job in this movie. Not necessarily as much to be a silver lining, but if he does like take each scene sort of discreetly, I think he acts well in those scenes. I just don't think there's the through line or the, the connective tissue is missing a little bit and that hurts his character.
1: Well, yeah, it, it's almost a case where like, I think he's good enough that he's distracting you from the fact that like, like, that's what's funny is, you know, probably 20 years ago when I saw this movie, <laughs> uh, right. that I didn't really ask these questions. Like, like, I think that's kind of the the deal and, and that's, you know, what's clear about Christopher McQuarrie, who I think is incredibly talented is like the movie still works maybe more than it even should, you know, um, just because of. I think that he's taking some big swings and there are a lot of great moments.
0: Yeah, I think, and I think that's sort of getting to the silver lining. I will say like one other bit of malignance or however you want to phrase it for me is like, this movie didn't feel kinetic. Like it felt sort of stagnant, even though a lot was happening. Like, we've talked a lot of times about like a sense of urgency or a ticking clock or like a driving force. Like you can do a slow measured sort of character study movie, but I feel like that this movie wasn't that, but nor was it like sort of the kinetic usual suspects ask Coen brothers ask snappy dialogue, whatever. Um, I, I just know watching it a couple times I had to remind myself to like really focus. Cause we're about to do a podcast um, I, I drifted off a little bit at point, not to sleep, but like to just kind of getting distracted or whatever.
1: Yeah. And I, I, I would say like, I, I think it's just, you know, like, yeah, it, there's something maybe about the editing. Cause I, I like that the movie is patient, you know, like yeah. there's, I like, you know, I like the way that they, I, maybe we're pivoting to the silver line. I don't know. But like the, the actual, I think it's ki- fair, like I what I enjoy about this movie is that it feels like while I agree with you and, and while I think it's true that it's definitely influenced by a lot of things and it's definitely uh, maybe shot in a way that other things are like the, the choice to make everyone sort of act in a way that doesn't feel cinematic and, the, and in a way like makes it feel more real. I think is interesting like though and I know some of it is uh I think it was Christopher McQuarrie's brother like actually had military training and it was like a uh a consultant on this. So a lot of like the way that people move, the way that they think, the way that they act is very tactical. And I that to me is the stuff that works the best and I like the fact that uh the way that they kidnap Juliet Lewis is by sort of knowing how the other two guys are going to think. And Mm -hmm. they send uh, Ryan Phillippe as like a very obvious like I am a guy wearing pantyhose over my head walking towards the two of you with a gun. I'm very obvious so that they both move in front of Juliette Lewis to protect her instinctually. And then Benicio Del Toro pops out from behind everybody, you know, and then the fact that. Their counter move is to aim their guns at her stomach, which is a complete bluff because there is no chance they can shoot her. But like if they can convince the people kidnapping her that they will shoot her, (laughs) you know.
0: Yeah. A weird thing about this movie is um, there's a ton of attention paid to micro details. Sometimes I think at at the expense of macro details.
1: I think that's fair. Like, I think that's maybe a good way to put it. Because uh, one of the things
0: oh, I was one of the things in the like dealing, you know, with Chris McQuarrie's brother as the uh, sort of technical advisor for the gunshots is that other than the last like big, crazy shootout, like every round that's fired is accounted for. And like mm-hmm. the, the the clips match and everything else matches and like all that stuff, which I think is, is like it's cool to do that because most Hollywood movies stick up a big middle finger at things like that
1: yeah um and i know one of the other things too that I, I know we read some of the same stuff but it's like they everyone practices trigger discipline which is it the only time their hand like their finger is on the trigger is if they're planning to shoot someone like right like they're actually if they're touching a gun and their their fingers on the trigger it's because they're about to shoot you like
0: yeah um it's one of those um just like w- you know, we both have a background in improv and they always say like, don't do finger guns. Yeah. But really like you should do a finger gun if you're not intending to actually shoot someone. Right. Like, you'd be holding a gun with your, your uh, trigger finger pointed straight out rather than grasping the trigger unless you're actually intending to
1: shoot. Mm-hmm. It's a fun little odd thing. <laughs> That's why Andy teaches tactical improv training. Right?
0: That's right. Tactical. Yeah. <laughs> imp- you can find my classes uh, through high wire improv.
1: <laughs> uh, but yeah, I, 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 I guess are we in the silver lining? Yeah, like, let's get to the silver lining because okay.
0: I I mean I'm sure we'll hit a couple other
1: things that are like it,
0: it's like we'd be like nitpicking at this point. So I think it's a good time to to try, to switch.
1: Yeah. Uh because I want to say that uh since we were talking about the the macro details, that that's one of my favorite things about the movie is the the attention to detail. I love the very unique Car chase scene where they get out of their car and let it roll, and like they're they're going down an alley, and they you know like and I think they do a good job in those scenes with where it's Nikki Cat who uh, has come up on this show before because if you remember he uh, is in both Batman and Robin and The Dark Knight, but yeah, uh, Nikki Cat and uh, Tay Diggs who are the two uh, security detail guys. I think there's a lot of good brinksmanship between them and uh, our yeah. two protagonists early on. And and as I was saying with like the guns and the pointing the guns at her belly, then when you see them driving down an alley and it's a very slow speed chase where they decide to go down an alley, um, Benicio Del Toro and Ryan Phillippe get out of their car, let the car roll forward while the other two get out of their car, but they put it in park. And then they realize, oh, they because they get back in their car as it's rolled forward and it puts them behind them. It happens the second time where they're smart enough to let their car roll as well. And then, you know, because they also practice tactical improv rule of threes, the third time they're down an alley, uh, they actually get ahead of them and then use their car to like T-bone them to actually incapacitate their car. Uh, But I I love that because instead of going high speed chase, they went super low speed chase. Uh, and apparently I read that that was actually Benicio del Toro's suggestion because he had seen an episode of, I think, Cops, where that's where that actually what, yeah. what they did. So I, I kind of love that because it, it's so weird that it feels authentic because you've never seen anything like it. And I think that's really interesting.
0: Yeah. Uh, like one of the just the general good things is, um, despite what we talked about, every character did feel human and felt real. Oh, yeah. Um, like even like the... The oil baron, uh, Chittick, I believe his name was. Mm-hmm. Um, even though he was kind of a monster, he felt like a monster that would actually exist, you know, that he had the trophy wife, but she wasn't getting pregnant. So, um, you know, they have Juliet Lewis be the surrogate. Random Michigas happens, this whole ordeal. But like Nikki Cat and Tay Diggs as the, um, the sort of the, the security force basically for, um, like they felt very real and felt very genuine um the fact that tay diggs was having an affair with the trophy wife and you know there's a lot of stuff like all the people's like conflicting motivations felt real and i think that was a good thing
1: what's interesting is like I, i the movie because there's all these twists and turns and because it's so dialogue heavy it almost has like a almost like a mammoth play or something there's there's almost like a theater kind of vibe to it of like there it's a lot of like characters and and i i feel like everyone is really good in this movie and pretty much every character has at least one great scene like i don't think there's any reoccurring character that doesn't get a moment you know like there's because like nikki Cat, if you want to pick him he has a great scene where they first meet james conne where they're James Conn is sent because after the car wreck, they've now been locked up, and he's sort of like, Oh, these you know, assholes, like I have to bail them out. And it's just the way that he plays this frustration of like James Conn asking, like, What did you tell the cops? and he was like, you know, I, I told him that, like, blah, blah, blah. And then he said, I had all the answers. And I said, I did have all the answers because it was the truth. And it's just like, he plays that scene in a way that I'm like, I know exactly who you are of like, you know, and, and you know, like you get that, like, you know, you get obviously Ryan Philippi and uh, uh, Benicio Del Toro, who doesn't say a lot, but like this scene with him and James Caan, is maybe it's just well, everybody. Gets, great. Maybe everyone just gets a scene with James Caan and that's what's great. But like, <laughs> yeah. The other great thing, James Con playing himself in this movie. Yeah, so. no, and James Con, look, I mean, delivers. He brings it, man. He's, he's great. a silver lining, like he just is. Oh, like, sure, like, for sure. Every second that he is on that screen, he adds like an amazing amount of gravitas. Uh, but yeah, just yeah, like he has, he has strong Mike
0: Armentrout vibe. I think. Oh, in this movie. yeah.
1: No, that's a like, good call. Like he's just, and, and like this idea of he's just the guy that survived, and he's a little weary, but like he's. And I like, too, that in the final shootout, how patient he is and how he's Mm -hmm. moving slower than everybody else, like, which is a really great choice. Uh, But no, like everybody, the doctor gets like his moment, like with his dad, you know, like even uh, the trophy wife, who's probably the least developed character, has a really interesting... Like haunting essence to her, like yeah. Like there's a scene where she's eating shrimp and talking to her the guy that she's having an affair with about like right now I have a baby, you know, and like she's watching the sonogram and eating shrimp, and it's it's such a weird and interesting scene that made her character fascinating, you know, just in a like microcosm. I feel like
0: <clears throat> yeah. One other. It's another James Con scene. I can't remember. I think it's Benicio del Toro that delivers the line, but I think it was my favorite line in the movie uh, where he says, everyone wants to be a criminal. No one wants to commit crimes. Yeah. Like, that's a great, that's a killer line right there.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's the other, like, I guess if we just want to have another silver lining is like, I mean, Christopher McQuarrie is a great writer. writer. (laughs) Like, and that's the thing is like the movie can, can have its missteps. It, It can be flawed, but it's. I just enjoy it like as, you know, just there's there's so much like the things people say, the the scenes that they have. Uh, yeah, I don't know. And I think there's just I think the world building is really exceptional of we don't you know. And it's funny because I, I agree with you that the protagonists are probably the least developed, but everybody else like. We don't exactly know what the chiddicks are and we don't exactly have a clear sense of, you know, how, like, like we know he's into illegal stuff. We know that he's a shady guy, but like, it's just, we, uh, we clearly understand the world. We understand how he feels about everybody who works for him. You know, Like yep. we understand who he trusts with what, like, because he trusts James Caan more than he trusts the two guys that were protecting Juliette Lewis. But he also is the one who made the decision because it's very clear when james con first shows up of like if it was up to me i would kill you guys but your boss wants you to have a second chance which i disagree with and i'm telling you that i disagree but like he wants to give those guys a second chance but also doesn't trust them with the money you know like he he trusts them enough to to let them continue to be employed but not so much that he's naive
0: yeah, um, yeah. I think that that sort of gets to it, is that this if this was like Christopher McQuarrie's fourth movie, there's no way this would be on
1: on this podcast. Do you oh, know what no. I mean? Yeah, I think that's what it is. Is like you're watching someone who's clearly brilliant, like almost nailing it. Like I, that's honestly how I feel. Like this movie is like he's nailing like eighty percent of a movie. <laughs> no, it's it's his
0: just lack of experience almost drives like an a minus a-, a, movie down to like a C plus sort of minus yeah. B- C plus area. Um, I think
1: I don't like it as much as you do, but yeah, yeah I think I'm, um, I'm more B minus to your C plus, but like, yeah, uh,
0: but it's that. Yeah. Or like, or maybe that if he had just scripted it and someone else directed it, maybe, maybe this was round two with Brian Singer or something, but who knows? Brian Singer sucks, though. Screw him.
1: I know. Yeah, I, I kind of had that. I was like, I don't want that guy. <laughs> like, no. I, I mean, dude makes good movies, but screw him. He's a terrible person. Uh, yeah. Like, I actually, I think this might be a good time. I, I did pull some quotes, and I know that, like, you did too. Like, we there was uh, there's an interview. It's a, a Den of Geek interview that was done five years ago with Christopher McQuarrie that had uh some really great stuff. Um, and like, he he kind of, like, just, you know, he says this about the movie, which I think is really interesting. He's like, critics didn't kill my film. The shitty marketing didn't kill it. I killed it when I saw it to make out a film that lectured instead of entertained. Bottom line, most people just didn't like that. But they didn't need the critics to tell them that. Because it's a, the whole answer is about someone asking about critics, critical reaction mm-hmm. or whatever. But, like, he very much owns the fact that he's aware <laughs> that, like, ultimately... Uh, And I don't think I actually, I was looking for the quote. Maybe I didn't write this one down specifically, but like he basically said, like he was asked if he would change anything about the movie and he gave an answer that was essentially there's a million things I would change, but also I wouldn't necessarily change anything because it made me the filmmaker that I am. Like I needed to make this movie to learn how to make other movies, um, which I think is really interesting. And I also, it kind of gets to something That I think about a lot, which is that in some ways, I think, you know, that like what is disappointing to me personally is that because I like so much of this movie is that I think his failure with this movie caused him to shy away from making this type of movie. And I think that you're right. Totally in that if this was his fourth movie, it would be amazing. And I think it it's so utterly altered the trajectory of his career. And I it's interesting because I like the trajectory of his career. I, I really do enjoy his Mission Impossible movies. I think he's doing really great stuff. But there's a part of me that is sad that we don't get like we didn't get the evolution of what he was trying to do here. That we don't get the crime movies, that he sort of went more the, the action route. and Yeah, and also just crime movies, but then also just, like, the... Deep character studies. Deep character... Yeah, that's probably the exact word to use. Because, like, again, I think what he's doing with act, Like, I don't know that it's so much about genre, but about intent and about, like, what he wants to do. And, you know, I... I what he does in the world of Mission Impossible is really fascinating. And I... For some reason, I always come back to something that I heard him say... That is the most interesting thing I've ever heard about Tom Cruise, which is that he said Tom Cruise approaches films uh, based on emotion, like of how he wants the audience to feel. And I like, that's how he picks movies. That's how he discusses movies is just like, how do I want them, the audience to feel? And I I think you see that like in, you know, like that there really is this, uh, like the emotions are so clear in the movies that he's making now. And, uh, but yeah, I just i don't know there's a part of me that like it probably would be financially ter- a terrible decision but for me personally i would love to see the movies he was making if he had continued down this path instead of uh veering off into a different path
0: yeah uh i i agree 100 percent with that um So one of the – this is not a silver lining, but one thing that made me smile um, is that in a small cameo role as one of the Federales is Eddie Guerrero's older brother. Oh, nice. Yeah. Mondo Guerrero, who uh, had a very successful pro wrestling career, part of the Guerrero family, um, and then went on to actually be a pretty successful stuntman in Hollywood. And that's how he got this part.
1: Yeah, which is interesting because – yeah, because he's doing it and then, I don't, did he get Chavo Guerrero the job? Like, because I know Chavo now also, like Chavo did a lot of the choreography for Glow. Uh, I know he's trying to move into to doing more of that too. I don't know if that, you know, but yeah. I,
0: I would bet that that's the connection, yeah.
1: Yeah, I'm all for Guerrero's, uh, you know, working doing behind well. the scenes in movies and doing well. Uh, you know, rest in peace, uh, Glow, which just got canceled, but yeah. <laughs>
0: Because it's a Netflix show that's been on for four seasons.
1: Yeah, so it was just rubber stamped. It was, you know, the the <laughs> algorithm hit a button that automatically cancels you. Uh, but yeah, um, all of that is like I, I love the end. I I, I do want to mention that that shootout's real the, fun. The shootout
0: at the end is it's it's um, more people would know about it if this was a better movie.
1: Yeah, no, because the the shootout is great, and like every beat of it is great. I love that it's a bunch of old old bag men that show like james Conn he brings the boys they're back in town you know to show up to like because it's one of those things that's not explained but you just know you're like he called up every other grizzled old man that he knows to like get to mexico for the final shootout like it makes total sense um yeah. but like i just love that they all show up they just put all the money in the middle uh, you get Benicio Del Toro saying that there's always free cheese in the middle of a, like, a trap, you know, a mouse trap, like, and then it's just, it's a really great uh, shootout. I did, bizarrely, I don't know if you saw this, on IMDB, it said that there was, like, a an extended cut or a something cut where they die from uh, their injuries at the end and they bleed out. And I, that really threw me off because I've never assumed that they didn't die at the end of this movie. Like, I thought that was explicitly clear even though they don't close their eyes it's literally Ryan Phillippe talking to God as a camera pans overhead away from right. them which is the most like two people having their spirits leave their body shot that you could put in a movie as also just like the amount of injuries that they've sustained at that point <laughs> like and no one is helping them the paramedics have left and they're just laying there bleeding out in a Yeah, yard- they, they take Juliette Lewis to uh get treated
0: and just like i i i don't know that that moment
1: tickled me that they just like they like, kind of not... step over them to get to yeah. julia it's <laughs> like no it's really well done and i i love all of it i love that james con it takes the one bag that they have and just kind of pulls it away from them and sits on it so he can pull out his soft pack of cigarettes and just like wait for the paramedics to show up
0: yeah um I oh, know I think we did it.
1: Uh I also well I I, I want to give a shout out to Juliet Lewis's real dad who is oh, yeah. in the movie uh as a such a delightfully weird character. Definitely, yeah. Like a character who is introduced playing Russian roulette. <laughs> like uh who can't decide if he's going to answer the phone or not who then uh I I really do enjoy the again everybody gets one great scene with James Conn in this movie but like the
0: scene th- in the car when he's dying is great
1: Yeah where like because it kind of plays against your expectation of every other movie has the guy bleeding out saying something really important before they die and so it's uh that where he's not he has nothing important to say and James Conn just can't figure out like how do I don't he's my friend and he's dying it would be rude to leave. So I'm awkwardly but the guy's stuck like, here. I kind of want to do this alone. Could you please leave? Yeah. That it turns out that the other guy was also doing the same thing where it's like, I want you to leave and I don't want to be rude. <laughs> like, it's just a very funny scene where it's like, both guys are being too polite as one of them is dying, you know? <laughs> like. Uh, but no, that is enjoyable. I do. I have one more. I, if we've, if we've covered all of the, the silver linings, I wanted to read a quote. One more quote from Christopher McQuarrie about this movie. I think it's a
0: good one to wrap up on, yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, he said, I'm eternally grateful to the people who see it for what it is, as opposed to the people who tried to pigeonhole it. I'm grateful to be answering these questions 15 years later. Is the film flawed? Is it uneven? Certainly. But it's sincere. In the years since, it's found its listeners, and that's what people really enjoy the film are, listeners. I've since learned that I can't make films strictly for them anymore. The rest of the class is holding them back. But I can send them little messages, a nod here, a wink there. That's a good quote. No, it's great, and I apparently I am the listener that like (laughs) wants him to keep making these movies. Uh, But no, it's this is a really it's a it's a movie worth watching. I will say that that if you you know or if you're into this genre of movie and you see that this is a film that has a forty six percent. Uh, you know, Rotten Tomatoes score. Like, and you, you like this, you know, you're you're a Quentin Tarantino fan, or you're just a fan of like Robert Rodriguez or, you know, any of the like actually movies that inspired them that we talked about at the beginning. Like right. if you like Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid or like any of that stuff, uh, it's worth watching. Like it's, it's worth watching once. Like that is what I would say. I would challenge everybody to watch this movie once. And then you could probably not watch it again. if you-
0: And if you love the First scene and hate the second. Stick through to the third and through the end.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's also possible. It, I guess you could just play the first scene and turn it off if you if you want to be Andy and just imagine the movie that could have <laughs> happened
0: after that. Yeah, that's that is an option. That is a, definitely a choice.
1: Yeah, uh, if you want to watch Sarah Silverman, uh, just not be scripted and say exactly what Sarah Silverman would say in that situation.
0: Yeah, that scene didn't have a script.
1: No, there's zero chance any of the lines that Sarah Silverman said were written for her. Like those are (laughs) just what comes out of the top of her head. Like when that's just, hey, Sarah, if you were in this situation, (laughs) how would you play it? Got it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But yeah, uh, so it's yeah, it's fun, and also just Christopher McQuarrie is great. I really want to put that out there in case. Uh he doesn't know it. Like, um, you know, cause he it's just funny to me because he's one of those I don't feel like he's a name. Like I don't he's I not. Feel, people know his work, but they don't know the name Christopher McQuery, which is weird for a guy who won an Academy Award for writing the usual suspects. The fact that he's not super well known just like name recognition wise.
0: Yeah. Um and that he's directed some hugely successful movies
1: yeah and he's gonna make two more mission impossible movies which i'm very excited about because i will watch every movie that he and tom cruise make together including the one where they go to space because that's what has to happen eventually in all of these franchises
0: and and they run across the fast and the
1: furious and i would watch mission impossible meets fast and the furious Why not? Yes, that's our pitch for this week. Yeah, that's our pitch for this week. It might be a step down. It's M-I-F-F. Look, I love the Fast and the Furious, but it might be a step down for the Mission Impossible people. Like, I feel like the Fast and the Furious people need this collaboration more than they do. But but if it's just, like, (laughs) if it's just 20 minutes of Vin Diesel and Tom Cruise uh, talking about family and what it means to each of them individually. Yeah. I'm in. Yeah, so not. in. Uh, so remember, uh, Martian sci-fi doesn't play in Middle America. It sure doesn't.
0: Silver Linings Playback is a production of HoboTrashCan.com. If you enjoyed the show, please rate or review it on Apple Podcasts. Hear more great shows on the Peak Sloth Podcast Network, like this one.
1: We Have to Ask. It's a podcast where we answer the question, are you going to eat that? What will you leave behind? Why get out of bed? Will you be our neighbor? I'm Marty. And I'm Jonathan. We're two hosts. Infinite universes. We We Have have to to Ask.
0: ask. New interviews every Tuesday.
1: Find us on iTunes or online at wehavetoask.com or with the other great podcasts on the Peaksloft Network at peaksloft.com.